Hello everybody, welcome to a new episode and indeed a new season of the Investment Club. A lot of cool episodes coming up, so keep an eye on that, but today I'm going to be talking to you about how to not only survive, but also thrive in a bear market. Let's get started. Well, just to start off, I wanted to take a moment to thank everybody who has been supporting the podcast through the first season. Uh, I have a lot of good plans for this upcoming season, and I hope you will continue to check them all out. In this uh, previous first season, we had, uh, I believe, listeners from 14 different, 14 or 15 different countries, and a lot of listeners too, so I very much do appreciate you all helping me by sharing it with friends and family, and making sure that we can continue to spread this important information to as many people as possible. So... Let us talk about, uh, you know, this important concept that a lot of people find uncomfortable when we refer to the broader system of knowledge of investing, and that is surviving a bear market, because uh, contrary to the beliefs of many on the internet, stocks can, in fact, decrease in value. I know it's crazy, but uh, we can even see long periods where a stock trends down. And we have to understand that these contractions are natural and part of the process of investing overall. And I'm going to talk to you about a lot of different things this episode, but the honest rule and the important rule that you have to understand is that uh, the, the key thing is to simply not sell. And I will tell you why this is. And I will tell you how can you, you can utilize these periods of time to make money in the long run, but the key rule... And the mantra you have to repeat to yourself in a bear market is just don't sell. That is the key. So let's get into it. First of all, let's discuss what a bear market is. So some of you all might not even know what I'm talking about. Why am I referring to a bear? Like like the animal? Yes, like the animal. Uh, in, in stock market terminology and the uh, broader vernacular, uh, when individuals refer to it, there are bears and bulls. A bear is an individual uh, who believes that the stock market is going to decrease, or you can be bearish upon a certain stock. You think it has decreased. You you do not feel confident. You are pessimistic about it. Then you have bulls. You, th these are individuals who are, you know, quote-unquote bullish about the market or bullish about a stock. They believe that it is going to increase in value. So we have the bears and the bulls. When there is a bull market, the market is expanding. The economy is expanding. And when we have a bear market, it is doing the exact opposite. If you're just starting off in investing, perhaps you remember that period of time where we had quite a bit of a contraction when the coronavirus pandemic started off. That was a bear market period. And uh, as you know, the past couple of months, we have been very clearly in a bull market period. Now, you might ask, why why does the market go up and down in this way? Why do these trends form? Well, the answer to that is that the economy exists in cycles. It contracts and expands in a cyclical manner um, because that's physically what's going on with the underlying businesses within the stock market. You have to understand that the stock market in and of itself is simply a derivative of all of the businesses within it, and overall a reflection of the economy. Now, that doesn't always hold up, and we'll talk about how these those divergences happen, but 
you have to understand overall that the concept is that the economy exists in a cycle and the market will most of the time follow it. And you know something we have to understand about the economy overall is that it is cyclical because people do not want to spend money on growing their business infinitely. You know, there's profit taking in every part of the economy. Sometimes people just want to slow down. They're hiring less, they're buying less international good, they are putting out less new products because sentiment can only stay positive for so long. At some points in time, there will overall be less economic activity for whatever reason that may be. And the severity of how bad this recession is going to be depends wholly on why it happened. Now, let's just take a look at the Great Recession. It lasted, <clears throat> you know, 19 months and entailed a massive contraction, mostly because it had a clear trigger that indicated an, a, a massive underlying issue in the very mechanisms of the economy. You know, we can talk about the housing market bubble, and if you've watched The Big Short, you probably have a pretty good idea of what happened. But, uh, you know, the key thing here is that it pointed to a vast issue with the way that money was being handled. There was an issue with the very economy itself. Now, this does stand in quite a bit of contrast to the 2020 stock market crash, which only lasted about a month and a half compared to that 19 months. Now, yes, it was a very large and steep crash, but the it was a V-shaped recovery. It recovered in quite a fantastic way. And with this said, coronavirus has really changed how we think about things economically. There is a clear distinction between the fundamental issues with the economy and roadblocks to economics happening in the first place. And let me explain why that is there has been a distinct divergence in the market and the economy. We are still in a relatively recessed economy, if you ask a lot of people. Some people say we're not in a recession. Whatever, whatever you want to say, the economy is in a recessed state, if not a recession, but the stock market does not seem to understand that. And this is mostly for reasons of massive stimulus and government intervention that the stock market prices in for the future, but there's a lot of people asking whether this is just delaying an inevitable crash, or, you know, maybe it has actually staved off a recession. I do not know, but either way, the growth of the stock market during coronavirus has been quite miraculous. And I think that we can all agree that there is a distinct difference in how the stock market performed in 2008 and 2009. The severity is not always consistent or predictable, but more severe recessions are typically going to revolve around inherent things that are wrong with the economy. The housing bubble was caused by vast misregulation and corruption. The economy itself was broken. Coronavirus didn't hurt the fundamentals of how our economy worked. Everything was fundamentally sound. There are simply barriers to good expansion happening. But the fundamental issues, uh, you know, with the mechanisms just are not there. Money is changing hands just fine. In fact, businesses are growing. A lot of businesses are growing during coronavirus on the corporate side. The issues we are seeing are on a lower level. 
That was certainly not true in 2008, where a lot of the hardships were not only faced by small and medium-sized businesses, but by a corporation themselves. Now, obviously, we have had some corporate um, casualties, such as Hertz and JCPenney, Neiman Marcus, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But overall, the pain has been felt on the lower end of the scale, because fundamentally, the economy is just fine. And that is why we bounced back and are bouncing back relatively quickly. But we can still find certain trends about how uh, a recession might look, how when a recession might happen. You know, a lot of research has been done, done and conducted on this. And overall, we can see some cyclical patterns. On average, a recession lasts 11 months. And that seems like a long time, but the bull market, on average, lasts 2.7 years. The bull market we are in now is a lot, lot longer than that. Uh, it's been going on for years and years, and... Uh, but nonetheless, I think that the fact that the bull market is so substantially larger than recessions, it makes a good case for why stocks typically go up in the long run. You know, it's the fundamental principle that our economy expands over a long sample size of time. But, you know, this is not to say that those 11 months are pleasant. I will tell you right now, those 11 months are not going to be pretty. What might a bear market look like from the perspective of a small investor? And the answer to that question is wholly dependent. It really depends what your portfolio looks like, and frankly, there's a bit of luck about what kind of stocks you are holding. Typically, blue chips, large mega caps are going to fare better and bounce back faster, because they're generally safe havens of money. People feel safe putting their money in those companies. And for the same reason, uh, you know, the opposing reason, small caps and penny stocks are going to hurt the most. People put their money in known quantities to weather the storm. And we'll talk about the benefits and risks of, uh, you know, penny stocks and OTCs in a future episode, I think, you know, uh, in two episodes. But the point is that the type of stocks you are holding are going to implicate your risk in a downturn. A normal investor needs to have diversity to make sure that those 11 months or longer or shorter of a recession are not catastrophically, you know, damaging to them. I will tell you this. A sizable anchor of large caps is a good idea. And when I talk about, you know, capitalization... I'm not sure if I've mentioned this in a previous episode, but to clarify, uh, capitalization, a market cap, is pretty much a uh, factor of determining how large a company is and sort of putting them into tranches based on size. So with large cap, you have, you know, a certain distinction of how large a company is. Uh, you can think of ExxonMobil as a, is a large cap. You can think of... Uh, you know, pretty much, uh, you know, the majority of large companies you've heard of, then you have certain mega caps. Those are even bigger than large caps. Some people just group them into the large cap category, but that's, you know, think of Microsoft. Think of, think of Apple. <clears throat> They're even larger than a normal large cap. I think it's that one's over one trillion market cap. 
then you have medium cap, a mid cap, then you have a small cap, you have nano cap, all of these different uh, categorizations of how large a company is. But whatever you're buying, quality in good times is going to survive bad times better. It doesn't matter what market cap they are. That is just a fact that can be applied to any company. And I will tell you that the key rule uh, when approaching investing is this. You want to buy quality in good times to survive the bad times, and then you want to buy more quality in the bad times. When you're only buying quality, you are going to survive better. Because empirically, whatever you're going to buy is probably going to hurt, but we can look at some clear examples of how much it's going to hurt and what a recession can really do to a portfolio. Now, the, th the first thing I want to talk to you about is the SPY, the SPY. Perhaps I've mentioned it in a previous episode, but it was the first ETF ever created. It pretty much just uh, follows the standard in POR 500, the S&P 500. It is a good benchmark of what the stock market is feeling. In fact, it's a good investment in and of itself. Uh, I know we've referred to ETFs. It's a very good ETF. <laughs> Even so, Let's take a look at how it, uh, you know, fared during the Great Recession. Not, not so hot. It started off at uh, about $155 and went down to $67, losing well over half of its value. Microsoft, a mega cap, maybe not a mega cap at the time, but a very large company, took the stock from $27 to $11. Unprecedented. Uh, perhaps uh, the most uh, damaging, we can take a look at, uh, you know, obviously most damaging outside of the ones that ba went bankrupt was General Electric. You know, at one point, one of the largest companies in the United States uh, with, with goods that are absolutely integral to the running of the economy and infrastructure itself went from $27 to $5. All of these things point to the fact that the economy in a recession can look very, very bad. And obviously, this is an extreme example of what a recession might look like. Not all of them are going to be uh, this bad, but it's certainly not a once-in-a-lifetime event. There will be recessions that look that bad. There will be recessions that are not quite as bad, but will still take a good chunk of your portfolio. I mean, let's look what happened during the coronavirus crash. SPY dropped from $338 to $228, and that was over the period of only a month and a half. The point being, it can happen. Maybe you won't, in your lifetime, see anything this bad, bad but you should certainly not plan for it to not happen. This goes to show you how catastrophic a bear market can be. But nonetheless, not all hope is lost, and this is the most important part of the episode. This is what I want you to take from it. Every stock I just mentioned to you regained their original price at some point in the future after the Great Recession. All but uh, General Electric have greatly exceeded that price. This indicates an important fact. Bear markets are scary, but they are also temporary. History shows that the best course of action is to hold on tight, because if you hold on tight your stocks will go up, even if your portfolio looks really ugly. Now, this might disrupt some things. And this is why liquidity, liquidity is so important. 
if we happen to be in a recession or entering a recession and your typical pattern is to day trade stocks and uh, you know get in and out very quickly because you have bills to pay, that's, that's not going to work if we have a massive crash. Maybe you do have to sell on the first very, very bad day. Maybe you have to take a loss if, if you are tied to that money. That money is so key to you. You have to stay liquid if that money is, you know, functionally uh, money you need to access. But that's just a note on whether or not you want to play games with money you really, really need in the short term. Because typical logic will tell you, if you are a day trader and you get stuck in something... You should just hold on through. You have to change your strategy. You have to reevaluate. You're no longer a day trader. You're now in it until you can at least get back even, and then you can go back to your old pattern. But point being, you are going to want to continue to hold. But that brings up a good question. Hold what? what? What should you be holding? What should you be holding in a recession? What should you be holding prior to a recession or even in a bull market to ensure that you perform just fine when it inevitably comes? What stocks will serve you best in a bear market? This brings us to a very important concept. Now, it sounds complicated, but it is fairly intuitive. This is the concept of elasticity. And I referred to market cap earlier as an indication of performance during a recession, but I will tell you now that it is not the best indicator of performance in a bear market. It's probably better to look at what a company does, what it means to people, what their products do for regular individuals in a country. This is a better metric than, you know, simply how large a company is. It's better to look at what they do. So, you know, what what companies do we want to look for in times of recession? Well, elasticity in simple terms is simply a measurement of the, the importance of products, how much a product means to somebody. Now, let me give you an example. If, uh, you know, a can of soda, for example, costs 50 cents, and I raise it by four times to $2, the number of buyers is going to significantly decrease. This is because people like soda, but they don't need it, or at least the number of people that want it that bad is lower at higher prices. This is a product that is elastic. It's something that people enjoy, it is a luxury, but it is not a necessity. That is the big point here. That is why it is not elastic. But, you know, let's compare that to a water utility. If your water bill is typically around $50 and it is raised to $200, you know, uh, we're not taking regulation into account. Let's just assume it happens. Most people are still going to pay that. Maybe begrudgingly, but they will pay it because they want their water to stay on because they need water. You don't need soda. Other examples are medicine, other utilities, like electricity. Uh, a surprising one is tobacco, and but I think tobacco is a, a great example because think of how many uh, times prices on uh, you know cigarettes have been raised and raised, and it's taxed uh, it taxed ridiculously, uh, well necessarily, but, but ridicul at a ridiculously high rate. Yet people still pay because it is something that they need because nicotine is addictive. 
So as you can see, between these two different examples, certain products are going to garner a, a certain buy-in at higher prices than others. Price is going to price does not significantly change demand in inelastic products, but it does in elastic products. And these, uh, you know, co companies, you know, if we're talking about utility companies, they become price setters because people rely on their products. And that's the kind of company we want to be in in a recession because the thesis here is people will keep buying those products even in times when they have less money. Uh, because they need them. What does this mean to a trader or investor? In a bear market, companies with, you know, inelastic products are going to do better. They weather the storm. This is why you would rather be invested in a grocery store than a designer clothes brand during a downturn. People might buy more designer clothes during a booming market in economy, but they are always going to buy groceries. Maybe they'll change their grocery buying habits, but they will always need groceries at some point in time. And, you know, the logical extension of this is that recessions can, you know, perhaps even be good for some products. Now, let me tell you that uh, maybe I'm selling a can of soda now that is 50 cents, and my competitor is selling uh, an equal can of soda, perhaps an unbranded one, uh, for 45 cents down the hall. The difference seems negligible, negligible, but in economic theory, he should get 100% of the customers. This still works, you know, if it were, we're comparing apples to apples, say it's a can of Coca-Cola, he's selling a can of Coca-Cola, I, I would be completely wiped out of business if he even lowered it one cent. You, because elasticity, an important concept within it, is that it changes buyers' habits based on how important a product is or how unimportant a product is. So yes, indeed, in recessions, some products will replace the more expensive ones and will perform better as brands in companies. The same goes for stores. Let us look at uh, the 2008 recession. The best performing stock that year was Dollar Tree, which went up 65%. Walmart, which went up 20% because they undercut competitors and became a better option in a bear market. They became something that was more attractive to a consumer who now has a tighter budget. This also works the other way. This is why in downturns, it might hurt certain companies more than others. This is why, uh, you know, I'm going to be referring to Neiman Marcus. Neiman Marcus did not fare so well. It will, if you don't know, Neiman Marcus is a luxury uh, department store. It's like an even higher branded version of Nordstrom's. But here's, here's an interesting little quote from Bert Tansky. He was the Neiman Marcus, Neiman Marcus CEO during 2008. He had a, a very interesting quote. He said, remember, when our customers tighten their belts, it's generally ostrich or alligator. And I just, I find the, the incredible confidence behind that, that, that statement, perhaps even arrogance behind that statement, quite, quite interesting. I think it's, it's actually pretty funny considering what actually happened. And, you know, what did happen was the confidence was rather misplaced <clears throat> because there are only so many rich people to shop at Neiman Marcus. 
a lot of their business actually comes from middle-class folks who want to live a richer lifestyle. A bull market can sustain that, but a bear market cannot. You know, in a, bear, in a bull market, they're getting raises. More people have jobs, jobs that they have a better chance to upgrade in, uh, you know, get promotions. But in a bear market, other needs become more important. The job market becomes scarcer. There are less middle-class individuals, upper-middle-class, who are willing to shop at Neiman Marcus versus, you know, Nordstrom's or Dillard's or Macy's or JCPenney. It really just goes down the line. But we can look at the, 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 the severely misguided confidence of Mr. Tansky and think about what actually happened. In fact, lux luxury department store sales in uh, general during this period of time in 2008-2009 dropped by an entire quarter. Their sales dropped by a quarter, showing that my thesis, and, you know, of course, 2020 hindsight site, was correct that a lot of people were not shopping, and if they were shopping, they were buying less. Because there are less people willing to pay more when they could get something, you know, equally functional, but cheaper elsewhere. Now, here's the ironic part. 11 years later, in 2020, during the most recent financial crash, Neiman Marcus filed for bankruptcy. Uh, you know, though they emerged, it stands as a stark lesson that even the finest institution, uh, you know, in this sector, the finest institution that our country had to offer, are replaceable. When money gets tight, the name Neiman, Neiman Marcus doesn't mean that much when the money, uh, you know, dries up. I think that's a very harrowing idea, that name brands can only go so far, and ideologies about what willing people are willing to buy of uh, quality versus function really changes when those belts get tightened. Bear markets are truly destructive. They can, on an individual level, wipe out years of gains. They can destroy lives. They can ruin people. But through all of these examples, I hope you have been able to draw the connection that they also present massive opportunities. Another quote from uh, perhaps a uh, more thoughtful individual than Mr. Tansky from the legendary investor Warren Buffett. He proclaims that you must be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. Just think about that for a second. That's, it seems simple, but let's break that down. You should be fearful when others are greedy, when people are buying things up, when people are getting uh, overly confident in their investing, when they're becoming complacent, then you should be fearful because they aren't being smart about what they're buying. They're overconfident. They're not investing in quality. And overall, that is a recipe for danger. In addition, in a, cyclical, in a cyclical fashion, it probably indicates you are at the top of the cycle. And then he says, be greedy when others are fearful. When the market is down, we can always rely on the fact that it is going to go back up. Be greedy when the market is at its lowest, because when you buy all of those stocks up and they inevitably regain their losses, so long as if you've bought good stocks, then you are going to be a wealthy person. When the fear is the highest and the times look dark, those are the best prices you will ever get 
because people don't want to be holding those stocks. As we have established time and time again, markets are going to recover after some period of time. So if you have uh, you know, the, the time to hold long-term, buy as much as you can. Do your research. Attempt to get as close to the bottom as you can. And, you know, there's a lot of different factors that go into whether or not you are catching the bottom. Some people call this knife catching, where you attempt to find the very bottom of where a stock is declining or where the market is declining. Uh, Overall, it is simple math that if you buy in a recession and you don't even get the bottom, you're still going to make a good amount of money. Now, we could get into the technicalities of this, but the thing you need to know is that we will typically encounter three different types of recoveries. You have the V-shaped, which is a steep decline followed by a steep rise in a relatively short amount of time. This is what we have seen most recently in 2020. We have the U-shaped, which is what a lot of people are most fearful of, what we saw in 2008 and 2009, a prolonged bottom. Then you have the W-shaped, which I guess we also saw a little bit of uh, back in the day, but that is a dip, a recovery, and then another dip. You should do your research, see what economists are saying, figure out where we stand economically, and determine where the bottom might be, and then buy as much as you can. But anywhere you buy, you will probably do well so long as you are investing in competent companies. Overall, surviving a bear market is good, but you need to learn how to thrive in a bear market. Recessions often shake up how nations themselves think. Consumers are going to ask what is necessary, what do they need. New companies are going to rise and old ones will fall. It's a form of very stark economic Darwinism that picks winners inherently. And if you have one of the winners, then this is an opportunity for them to gain market share, to grow themselves, to utilize the cash which you have hopefully determined they have on hand to grow exponentially. Here's the reality. You're not going to see short squeezes like GME and GameStop in a deep market recession. That is because money is going to rush to safety and quality. The nature of recessions is going to pull all stocks down, generally, unless you know you, you apply the elasticity theory we just talked about, but generally, good stocks are going to reduce in value too, and that is where riches are made. That is the space in which millionaires are made or lost, is if you can buy good stuff at low prices. That's why you should always have a little money on the side. If there's a recession, you don't want to be on the sideline. You want to make sure that you have the money ready to make sure that you can get in. And this is where you will have the most success in growing your investments. But as always, the key thing is to keep out the noise and know about the reality of the situation. Listen to the experts. Listen to the economists. Listen to the people who are looking out for you, not the random people on the internet who are attempting to flip a certain stock for a quick buck. Be discerning. That is how you win. 
So yes, you should be fearful of a bear market, but you should also be confident that when it comes, you will be ready to take it head on. And with that, I will be concluding this episode of the Investment Club. I have a lot of other things planned for this season two, uh, some very cool episodes upcoming. I hope this episode provided you some good insights on how you can be ready for a bear market, and perhaps it will even spur you to do some research on whether we are entering a bear market as we speak. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Guess we will find out. But with that note, please t- tune in next week for this special episode I am putting together on one of my favorite topics when it comes to investing, SPACs, blank check companies, special acquisition companies, whatever you want to call them. They are incredible little devices to help you make money, and I hope to be able to give you a good perspective on them. Please continue sharing with friends and family, and as always, get out there and make some money. 